Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What if we told you about a major breakthrough on awesome savings on all-inclusive beach vacays? OMG, this could break the case. Case? I'm talking about CheapCaribbean.com. It's full of hot savings. At CheapCaribbean.com, score an extra $175 off site-wide on vacations of four nights or more now through June 3rd. Swim up bar in Punta Cana or dip your toes in the sand on the shores of Cancun. We gotta take this show on the road. Start at CheapCaribbean.com. School of Humans. Okay, so it's the late 80s, and the Reagan's new minimum drug sentencing laws are in place, and the nation is swept up in an anti-drug, just-say-no fever, thanks to First Lady Nancy Reagan. My pot smuggler dad has experienced his biggest smuggling success, followed by the biggest ripoff of his career so far. He's doing primarily smaller local deals and fruitlessly waiting for the Green Beret grifter to clean and return Dad's foolishly entrusted money. I'm headed towards high school and into the Eurythmics, the Indigo Girls, and comedy, watching a lot of old Saturday Night Live with Gilda, Belushi, and the Coneheads. At the same time, my mom's friend's family gets into a smuggling trip that goes terribly wrong. My parents had a good friend, younger than them, who were calling the kid. He was a carpenter and built my dad a custom case for his pot-weighing scales, which my dad used to carry the scales in for local deals. Well, in 1988, the kid and his brother, Mr. High, get busted bringing in thousands of pounds of pot via Oregon's Columbia River. The kid calls my dad in a panic. His brother's been busted, headed to prison, and instead of joining his brother in prison, the kid's going to flee the country with his wife and child. So the sister of these busted brothers lived across the street from the house I was born in. Remember that hippity-hobbity house with the secret room? So I've known the sister of the busted brothers my whole life. She's in the rock and roll industry, and I went to school with her kids. Like the rest of the family friends I've recently discovered were also smugglers, I had no idea that this former neighbor and mother of my school friends was also involved in pot smuggling, albeit peripherally. We'll call her Grandma Bella, because today, after years of working in San Francisco's rock and roll industry, her favorite job is being a grandma. As her grandchildren romped in the garden, I spoke to Grandma Bella about the abrupt and catastrophic finale to her brother's pot-smuggling careers. 
In today's episode, we learn about the traumatic, real-life ramifications of the Reagan administration's drug laws as more smugglers in our family circle were sent to prison or fled the country. I'm Rainbow Valentine, and this is Disorganized Crime, Smuggler's Daughter. School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity. It's designed for women's unique retirement needs with flexible withdrawals to help cover unexpected expenses, plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. In other words, it's like getting a paycheck for life. We'll say that again. A paycheck for life. Guaranteed. Sounds too good to be true? It's not. It's the Parity Flex annuity. And it's one more example of their commitment to creating a better financial future for women. One where they feel empowered, not excluded, and ready to take on whatever their next chapter holds. Gainbridge believes financial flexibility and security are things we all could use more of. At Retirement Income You Can't Outlive is the ultimate flex. Who's with us? Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Please visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, for product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Ocean by H10 Hotels and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. Part of this podcast is the history and the laws changing and what happened. So it's the 80s. That's the law had just changed oh. two months earlier. I'm with my mom talking to Grandma Bella. Grandma Bella is my mom's friend whose two brothers were busted smuggling Afghani pot into Oregon via the Columbia River. They had it all set up. It was a boat on the Columbia River. And that was when paranoid sisters said, are you sure you should be doing this? with the new drug law changes, and then like, oh, it only applies to coke. So all these guys who'd been dealing in pot for all these years thought that it was nothing, and that only the crack people and so forth were going to be getting in trouble. A drug bust is the seizure of illegal drugs by law enforcement. And after this bust, Grandma Bella's role is to get her mom out of Portland and bring her back to Mill Valley. 
her mom was staying in a rental apartment used as a safe house for the trip, which means the apartment was filled with all sorts of evidence of the trip, including paraphernalia, receipts, and so much more. And whoever rents the safe house could also go to prison for five to ten years. The last thing Grandma Bella wants is for her senior citizen mom to join the rest of the family in prison. They moved my mother to Portland and used her house, her apartment, as a meeting place. So my mother's apartment is full of all this name of the boat stuff and just you name it. So my mom is kind of clueless. She thinks it's cool because she smokes pot and she doesn't think anything of it. And she thinks that it's a wild ride. And before, by the time I see her again, she's talking like a pot dealer. Grandma Bella's mom is defiantly resisting moving back down to Mill Valley. She has no idea that she's in jeopardy of being busted as well. And she's being totally uncooperative. Against her will, we're packing her up, and I'm determined that we're going to get every single thing out. So I'm going through books. Sure enough, there'd be a plane ticket. All this kind of stuff, and she's mad at me, meanwhile. And so we, I made my sister and my sister-in-law stay up all night. I'm like, no, you're not going to bed. Nobody's going to bed till this house is clean. And I mean clean. I just was petrified for my mother. So we get it all done. We've got everything ready. The guy with the truck from Mill Valley has arrived, ready to take her stuff. And by that time, I sort of got her convinced, you've got to leave, Mom. She goes, oh, wait a minute. There is one more space that we forgot to get to. And right outside her apartment is a storage area. So we go outside to the storage area, and none of us are tall enough to get the stuff. So this guy from upstairs, her friend, comes down and down falls this big thing of rifles. Yep, rifles. And possessing these rifles could add nine years to the sentence of anyone who had just gotten busted, which could be almost 20 years in prison. And they all have the name of the boat on. This is what I'm talking about. So they're antique guns. Oh. And the reason that they're not on the boat is because they got rid of them, but they didn't want to get rid of them because they're val- they had value. <laughs> First thing is, I said, you got to get rid of these, Mom. She goes, well, you got to do it. I go, I'm not going to do it. Why the hell should I have to do it? I didn't make this mess. And the guy who's supposed to be driving her stuff back goes, I'll take them. <laughs> like, you idiot, you can't take them. They're, they're part of a crime thing. You want to go to jail? He's like, well, they're really good. What are you going to do with them? <laughs> like, I don't know. But my mom is going to get rid of them. You're going to drive her, and she's going to find she knows the area. I don't. So they finally come back a few hours later, and I go, great, where'd you put them? She goes, well... We just couldn't find any place satisfactory, so, and so we put them in somebody's backyard under a log. Under a log? This is what hippies did. And I said, Mother, (laughs) what if these people have children? What if those guns are loaded? Did you check them? No, I didn't want to touch them. But Mom, what if somebody gets killed as a result of this? You can't leave them there. Are you kidding? All right, let's go. So Grandma Bella and her mom rent a car to retrieve the guns from under the log. But unfortunately, her mom forgets where the log is. 
I mean, Portland is an especially log-abundant city. Numerous times I said, Mom, I see over there that there's another thoroughfare, another avenue. Are you sure you weren't on that avenue? What do you think? I'm an idiot. Of course I wasn't. I'd tell you if I were. They're on this avenue. So finally, after we don't find them for hours, I go over to the other avenue and we find them right off the bat. So now I'm really ready to kill her. The next task is to figure out where to put the guns. And Grandma Bella decides to bury them in a hole in some back road in rural Oregon, lush with forests and blackberry brambles. We found plenty of deep holes, but the problem is every time we'd pull over to drop them, another car would go by who would then have seen our car and be a... And And you holding rifles. Yeah. How can it be so difficult? In the movies, it always looks like, (laughs) oh, we're just going to throw this body overboard and everything's fine. And I was just so we get all the way back to Portland where we'd started from and we still have the damn bag of trunk oh <laughs> of a car. So we we end up so you're back in Portland. finding yes an industrial area that is nothing but industrial and throwing them in a, a you know the a, like you mean a, a debris a dumpster. Box? Oh, a like, dumpster. A yeah. dumpster. Stressed, exhausted, and cranky, Grandma Bella and her mom fight all the way back to a motel, where they meet with the rest of the family to determine their next move. Now, the bust happened the day before Grandma Bella is cleaning out her mom's apartment. She explained to us what happened. The ship, previously used for research, but converted, and they were to meet out in the middle of the ocean somewhere and exchange money for for hash. And I'm nervous, but I think, well, they're, they're all so smart, and they hired this guy who's, was a professor of drama at some university to be the captain of the ship, and... (laughs) He's a smart guy. They're all hippies. I just need to echo Grandma Bella. These smugglers hired a hippie drama teacher to be the ship captain. Absurd. The way they got arrested was there was too much of the product, which means when the boat came back to shore, they had to spend three days making extra containers. And my brother, who got caught, had to rent a truck, an extra flatbed truck, He put it in his own name, in his own credit card. He was terrible as a smuggler, I'm telling you. Now, this is absolutely taboo in smuggling. Never use your real name. They, he knew that they were following him when he pulled out. And the way they had gotten caught was the DA and some customs officials and somebody else were coming into port. They saw the boat and the custom guy goes, I bet you that's a smuggler's boat. And the other one said, nah, it's just a research ship. So they took a little bet and they watched it. And my brother said, you know, they were following him. He didn't know what to do. This is Mr. High. He had millions of dollars worth of stuff in the back of the truck that he felt he was responsible for. Because he said, if it weren't for that, I would have driven the truck into the bay, into the ocean and taken my chances. He pulled over at a truck stop, and he kept trying to get a hold of the other brother, and he couldn't get a hold of him, and then one of the guys came over and said, don't you think this has gone on long enough? And my brother said, yeah. The late 80s. And so he went out to the truck, and he gave them permission to search, which he shouldn't have done. Oh, my God. But they would have just gotten it. He just was sick of it, too. 
Now, Grandma Bella's young brother, my dad's friend who built him a custom-scale carry case, the kid, was not on the ship when the DEA busted everyone. The kid and the rest of the family were at the motel trying to figure out what to do. And that's when the kid decides to flee with his wife and kids to Central America. Meanwhile, Grandma Bella's family bonded together to try and help her older brother, Mr. High, with his impending trial. We hired a lawyer. We took out a huge amount of money on our house to pay for it. And his wife was going to pay us back when she sold her house. But instead, they seized her house, even though it had nothing to do with the bust. Man, they'll get anything they can. So we went into debt just like, and I learned that it is your business, what your family is doing, because you pay for it, too. They're not out there as an island of like, oh, leave me be, you're just paranoid, which is what the other brother liked to say to me. And, you know, it turns out I wasn't paranoid enough. And, I mean, I remember going into my Central American brother's closet and just smelling his clothes and crying, knowing that I wasn't going to see him until God knows when. He had to be on the run. My mom and dad knew very little about this trip when it was happening. They heard about it, but they didn't know any details until now, after we talked with Grandma Bella. What was clear to my parents, and to Grandma Bella, was that the trip was poorly executed. Grandma Bella's brothers took a lot of extreme risks without taking extra precautions. I just thought they overstretched their imagination. They didn't really know what they were doing. They had, you know, antique guns that didn't work. It wasn't properly thought done by proper, the proper way. I mean, why are they taking a big boat into a big river system? That's, you know, where there's like all those, those gatekeepers, the Homeland Security people. I mean, they were there then too, the Coast Guard. You just didn't go into the 30 mile limit with your load of um, rifles and, you know, they, they didn't know the rules. You had to stay within your boundaries of knowing what you were doing big time. Uh-huh. You know, probably that's why we survived. Because we were cautious. So you felt they didn't, they were not meticulous. They were... I felt that they weren't um, professional. I mean, they had all the receipts for the boats and the, they had a, nothing together. Right, like they... Grandma Bella told us they had made T-shirts with their smuggle name. Yeah. Oh, gosh. They were treating it like a sport. Yeah. That was unbelievable. Now, my parents never did trips like this, which is one of the reasons they never got caught. My dad remained in one role during his 22-year smuggling career as a distributor. My dad never went on the boats. He says he didn't want to get that close to the flame. All I knew was that the mandatory minimums were um, absolutely Byzantine, you know, and um, that uh, just don't get caught. <laughs> I mean, 
there was there was one rule: don't get caught. He asked me for help, and there was nothing I knew to do. There, I mean, I didn't. It was such that I, I had no details of of any kind, other than he was scared to death, and he got out of town very quickly, and uh, with his wife and kids. Grandma Bella's brothers were riskier than my parents, and took fewer precautions. And also, they did this Afghani hash Columbia River trip right after Reagan's minimum drug sentencing laws were bolstered. And unfortunately, they experienced the harshest consequences. Grandma Bella's oldest brother, Mr. High, got out of prison a couple years early for good behavior. Her other brother, my parents' friend, the kid, still lives out of the country. Coming up, we hear from another counterculture smuggler I've known for 40 years. A good friend of mine who spent three years in a federal prison for pot. I'm Rainbow Valentine. This is Disorganized Crime. We'll be right back. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity. It's designed for women's unique retirement needs with flexible withdrawals to help cover unexpected expenses, plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. In other words, it's like getting a paycheck for life. We'll say that again. A paycheck for life. Guaranteed. Sounds too good to be true? It's not. It's the Parity Flex annuity. And it's one more example of their commitment to creating a better financial future for women. One where they feel empowered, not excluded, and ready to take on whatever their next chapter holds. Gainbridge believes financial flexibility and security are things we all could use more of. At Retirement Income You Can't Outlive is the ultimate flex. Who's with us? Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Please visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, for product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive Budget Beach Finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Generations Riviera Maya Resort and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. When I was 16, I worked for my hippie elder friend, Gracie Albright, making thousands of pounds of tabbouleh in five-gallon buckets for a music festival in exchange for free tickets and VIP access. And despite being up to my elbows literally in citrus-soaked cracked wheat for a week, it was the most fun I've had while doing manual labor. Okay, I've just landed in uh, Mendocino County. 
There she is, driving up in her badass, heavy-duty truck. If I were to cast Wonder Woman's mom, it would be Gracie Albright. Almost larger than life, Gracie Albright is strong, confident, brave, enormously compassionate, brilliant, hilarious, and the most spectacular maker of amazing large-scale things comparable to a Broadway spectacular, Burning Man installation, or Hollywood extravaganza. Gracie is the kind of person you want with you during the apocalypse because she will make sure you survive and thrive. I met her when I was six via my hippie theater community, the same place I met Candy Can. A couple years after I helped her make thousands of pounds of tabbouleh, thousands of pounds of pot caught up to my friend and employer, Gracie Albright. She spent several years in federal prison in the 90s for pot. Now, Gracie experienced what my parents luckily avoided, and I wanted to find out how she'd been caught and what prison had been like for an ethical counterculture outlaw. Well, one of the things that really blew my mind is that when I walked in past where the glass door shut, it was actually just a big glass door. You walked in, the door went bang behind you. I got this huge pain in my breast. And I said, oh my God, Patrick Henry, give me liberty or give me death. Who knew that freedom was something you actually physically felt in your breast? My breast was sore for a few weeks until I got used to it. It was the strangest thing. It was like, I had no idea. It kind of blew me out of the water, that one. So Gracie worked in pot smuggling for about five years as a driver. This is the mid-80s. She also had her own business, a straight job. And pot smuggling was always a side hustle, providing her with extra money for pricey essentials, like going to the dentist. I mean, it wasn't an intentional move on my part to become somebody that was selling marijuana. I was actually doing other things. Yeah. If you asked me what I was doing, I wouldn't tell you I was a marijuana person. And in fact, even when I was doing a lot of it, it wasn't the main thing about what I was doing. It was just a side deal. You know, it was great. You could fix your teeth. You could take a vacation. Yeah. Paint us the picture of what you did and walk us through what you were doing and then walk us through. I was driving to the site and loading a rented RV full of, you know, suitcases and then coming up to San Francisco and parking at the airport where suitcases are completely common. And people would come pick it up and, you know, a few weeks later they'd I'd go down and collect the money and drive back. I asked Gracie how they masked the cannabis aroma on the road. Her answer is so simple, so obvious, and totally brilliant. We'd load up um, for the return trip, and we'd cook bacon and eggs. And then we'd have bacon hamburgers. And then we'd have bacon on our steaks. And, you know, we wore wore plaid shirts, and we called it the Bacon Mobile. Bacon Mobile. Bacon Mobile. One time we were in a hotel... And we had a whole load in the hotel with us. And I was spraying like deodorant spray in the air because you could just smell it through everything. And I set off the smoke alarm and I went, holy fuck. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so there was, there was, you know, moments. What happened? Nothing, nothing. But you know, what happened is we all got a big adrenaline rush. Even though she wasn't a full-time smuggler, Gracie also had to figure out things like how to launder her money. She worked in hospice in San Francisco during the AIDS crisis of the 1980s. And she did a true fuck you to the man to clean her money. Might be one of my favorite parts of her story. 
So, the gay boys were really pretty pissed off. All the gay boys that were dying of AIDS. I knew them because I'd been in the Castro working hospice shifts. There was, at that time, a tremendous number of the gay population. Their mates were already dead. Their parents may not accept them. And they didn't have children yet because that hadn't gotten normalized or actualized. And so, boy, did they need hospice. And not only that, they were pretty pissed off, many of them, because, I mean, that whole thing of it's the gay disease, so it's not important to us kind of attitude that seemed to exist on some level. So, if you give more than $9,999 to a bank or to anybody, they have to say where they got it, if it's cash. So... I got to give my lawyer $9,999 because the government really wanted to know how I was paying for my legal help. And my lawyer said to me, they're going to subpoena this information. Great. You have to get me personal checks. So I came home and I went, oh my God, I've got to give him you know, $150,000 worth of personal checks. And so I went and I gave cash. The gay boys saved me to people that were dying, the whole community, the whole Castro took the that went out and found the dying boys to give me personal checks for for 10 15 20 thousand dollars and they took the cash and so when the government wanted to know where the money had come from there was like pictures of all the checks but all the people that had donated were gone and dead and it was just they loved that they could do that last or they probably still did more revolutionary acts after that So Gracie never technically got busted. There wasn't a moment where she was caught red-handed in the act, and there was no evidence she'd been a smuggler. But the government got her on conspiracy. Gracie's indictment transpired in the early 90s when the government was avidly enacting Reagan's mandatory minimum sentencing laws, aiming to imprison as many drug offenders as possible. And conspiracy to commit a drug offense was considered as bad as executing the misdeed. Here's Bill Panzer, the cannabis attorney I chatted with in episode three. Conspiracy is when two or more people agree to do something illegal and they take at least one step in furtherance of the conspiracy. But yeah, conspiracy is a felony under federal law. The conspiracy, the the potential penalty would be the same as if you completed the conspiracy. So Gracie got caught because someone she worked with was caught. And facing imprisonment, they turned a dime. They rolled. Which means to turn in others to the cops in exchange for freedom. With Reagan's harsh mandatory minimums, rolling on your colleagues was one of the only ways to save your own skin. You know, mandatory minimum sentences, people going away for horrendous amounts of time, for cannabis, which no one should go to jail for cannabis, period. And other drugs, too. I mean, you know, it's it, you know, it's like almost it's okay to kill somebody, just don't smoke a joint while you're doing it. You had these draconian sentences, which then, uh, because of the only way out of it was to cooperate, it changed the industry. Mm. A friend of mine who recently retired, who did this shit for like 40 or 50 years, You know, always had a hat in his office, a little baseball cap that said, nobody talks, everybody walks. And there was a lot to that. And, you know, and look, when you you got a 21-year-old kid and you're 
threatening him with five years in prison. Well, when you're 21 years old, five years last forever. When you're 40, you know, five years ain't that long anymore. You know, so there wasn't that much of a threat. But when you start talking about mandatory 10, of which you're serving 85%, none of this two-for-one stuff, you're serving 10-year sentence, you're going to serve eight and a half years. You get 54 days a year off good time, 15%, that's it. So when you're talking about a mandatory 10, a mandatory 20, you had a lot more people cooperating. And pointing fingers. Pointing fingers at people, dropping dimes on people, um, ratting people out. And that's really how the whole war on drugs, you know, the criminal justice system became, which is get someone, tell them you're going to prison for the rest of your life unless you give me someone else. And people start giving up their wives, their brothers, their daughters, their husbands, you know, It it was horrendous. Gracie and her lawyer worked for a couple years on the case. She poured all her resources, time, energy, money into the debacle. She becomes broke, has to send her child to live with relatives. The feds threaten eight years. But with the effort she and her lawyer pour into the case, Gracie manages to only be sentenced to three years for conspiracy to smuggle pot, sometime in the vague future. So Gracie prepares for prison. She puts her business on hold, says goodbye to her child and family, and reports to serve three years. Gracie was allowed to select the first prison she went to, and like any good hippie, she picks the prison with the best vegetables. It was like looking through a book and picking a college, has salad bar, somebody wrote a little book about all of them, it was your guide. My lawyer said, there's no guarantee, but you could... uh, Pick your first and second choice here, and if there's room, I think they'll try and place you there because they don't really want to give you a hard time. Tell me about prison. To walk, to paint us the picture. What does prison look like? What did, where, where are you sleeping? What are you doing day to day? What do you miss? Drinking water. You know, one of my friends said, what would you like when you get in there? And I said, would you tape the birds that sing in the morning uh, on the lake? so that I've got that sound in the morning when I wake up. And then I got to my cell, and when you opened the window, there was a marsh. And so right away, I felt like that was a gift from the universe. Gracie spent most of her three years in a medium security prison, but she ended up moving around several times. So I I was moved around to three different prisons in a short time, so I really got to see kind of the different kind of institutions America has and a lot about how they're run and what goes on and it's, you know. Tell us about it. Is it, is it the worst? Well, you know, there's also really sweet moments. Waking up um, after a little LSD trip because you have to do something to alter your conscious. conscience. <laughs> I mean, you just can't. It, I just needed some cheering up, so I would take some. And, um, you know, Sunday morning waking up or I hadn't been to sleep at Everybody else was waking up. And it was like just all these sweet human beings running around and borrowing quarters from each other and checking to see if everyone had enough laundry detergent because it was a day off. And it was just, the women were very kind to each other and very sweet and very supportive. And the rules were different in every prison. In some prisons there was cameras on you and you couldn't touch each other. And that was difficult. Because you could get in serious trouble for giving somebody a hug when their mother died. And in other places, you could get in serious trouble for allowing yourself to get a sunburn, even though they didn't provide hats or sunscreen. 
or sunglasses. And many times you had to work outside. And you know what the, the infraction was called? Destruction of government property. Even though Gracie remembers sweet moments, prison is not a slumber party. One prison she lived in went through a crisis situation concerning a plan between the guards and a male prisoner to blow up the women's prison. At one point, uh, some dude had stolen some jewelry. Anyway, he had a network, and there was a men's prison and a women's prison, and this helicopter was uh, aiming to come into the men's side and escape with somebody. And how they were going to do it was they were going to bomb the women's side, distract everybody, and then land and take the dude out. So they were just going to bomb us. And so all of a sudden, all these feds rushed into the middle of the prison, all armed with their guns drawn and blah, blah, blah. And lo and behold, they took away a bunch of the guards. And the guards had sold us. They had, for six figures, agreed to put a bomb off on our side. So that was one of the times I thought, oh, my gosh. Wow. Death for pot. That would be a wild thing. Gracie overwhelmingly feels her experience in prison was surreal just totally bizarre. I got to ride Con Air. You know, we were out there on the tarmac when they moved us from one prison to another at the airport, and they got us chain. We're handcuffed. We're cha- our hands are chained to our waist. The chain goes down to our feet, and our ankles are chained. So you can sort of shuffle, and you have to walk up the airplane steps like that. And there's all these dudes standing around with machine guns, and, uh, you know, there you are, and you think, extra in somebody else's movie. One of the takeaways Gracie has from prison is the absurdity of who was imprisoned federally. Some of her fellow convicts include a woman who tried to assassinate President Ford. Another prisoner worked in mail delivery and threw away the junk mail because she wanted to go home early as it was nine degrees outside. Then she was sent to federal prison because throwing away mail, including junk mail, is a federal crime. And there were other smugglers, a woman serving 50 years for pot, plus a crew of parakeet smugglers. And, you know, there was then the parakeet smugglers. Oh, you know, people that smuggled rare birds. I mean, people that had been busted peeing in Yosemite. In federal prison? Yeah, because maybe a kid saw them do it. Most of the people in women's prison are actually victims. And quite a few of them were afraid to go when it was their time to go because they just went out set themselves up for, I mean, no one was working with these women or helping them figure out why they maybe should stop making terrible choices or, you know, they'd end up with these abusive boyfriends and, and, you know. In prison, everyone is assigned a job. Gracie was in charge of recreation and she headed up a dedicated meditation group. And one thing, another funny thing about prison is that there's lots of prison literature in prison. So you go to the library and you can read about everybody that was ever in prison. Gracie was eventually transferred to a penitentiary in the Pacific Northwest, where male prisoners were allowed to hunt and would provide fresh meat for everyone else locked up. Let's just take a moment on that. The male prisoners were given guns to go out and hunt for food. Up in Washington, we didn't even have to wear uniforms, and there was all these Northwesterners, God knows what they were in prison for. There were dudes in there that had been busted for this or that or the other thing, and... They owned these giant ranches that had walk-in freezers to the next ranch. And so 
they would fill our prison freezer. They couldn't feed a, feed themselves unless they feed, fed everybody. So we would get like, we would have salmon for dinner oh. and we would have bear for dinner <laughs> and we would have elk for dinner and moose for dinner. I mean, it was sort of weird. <laughs> <laughs> and we had karaoke night. Well, it sounds a little bit fun. A little and, bit fun. You know, it was, oh, I had plenty of fun. There was this one prison guard that said, huh, you're having fun. And I, he said, you're enjoying yourself. And I said, well, why not? I mean, yeah. am I going to be miserable? Why waste my time being miserable? Yeah. I spent a lot of time being outraged at how crazy it all was. Yeah. But when I got to the halfway house, I remember they made me go to this counselor. And the counselor said, she said, I don't usually get people that aren't bitter. I said, I'm not bitter. I knew I was breaking the law. After release, Gracie gets sent to a halfway house. For how long were you there? Uh, they held me for a while, but um, I work in rock and roll, so I got to uh, go out in the evenings. And there's this another great story about how you're really being held by criminals even though you're not. Yeah. So I would come back in, and there was only a dude on at 3 in the morning when I would come home from work, but it was a job. They were required by law to let me go to work, even if it was at the you know, rock and roll palaces. And uh, I would come in and they, I had to agree to a pee test every single time I came in with the male guard watching. Uh, and so you know what he did? He what? tried to sell me his pee for $70. And Everyone, I said, right? how do I know your pee is clean? I know mine is, <laughs> fuck off. You know, I mean, really. Yeah. Just kind of nuts. Totally. I know, just, it yeah. was so surreal. I called it Marshmallow World. You, you, you look for where... Something is, and, and what it is just keeps moving. It's all moving. Squishy. Life is kind of like that in the end, it turns out. But it was, like, so extreme there. Now, today, after spending three years in prison and leaving pot smuggling behind, Gracie says what she feels most acutely is relief. In the years since then... It was cool not to be frightened. You know, at some point while I was in, a sweet Buddhist nun that used to come meditate with us wrote a book about freedom, and she interviewed me, and I said, oh, I'm much freer now. And that made her sort of curious, and I said, well, you know, I'm free of all the little white lies. Because you can't tell people that you're going to go sell a pound of pot. So you tell people you're going to the movies. And so you lie all the time to protect people, so it's well-motivated. But it's still little lies, and they get heavy after a while, you know? And so it's really, you know, I'm so glad that it's legal, because it's a shame. Lies just, they're not, you know, they are sort of unclean, and they do have a certain weight. And so it was a sacrifice to be one of those people that insisted on pot being a beneficial thing and, you know, fuck the laws, basically. So like my parents, Gracie lived a double life and it eventually became overly burdensome. Neither she nor my parents regret being pot smugglers because they believed in the product and the cause. However, the mental hardship of working outside the law is real, deeply taxing, and accumulates over time, no matter how honorable you or the product are. And Gracie was fortunate because she was part of a tight-knit community that took care of her and her child, she had a great legal team, plus returned to her neighborhood as a hero. I was really lucky. So many of the women went home. I mean, I got to come home a hero. So I'd go dancing, 
and there'd be a hundred dollar bill in my pocket that I didn't know who'd put there. I'd come to work and there would be a thousand dollars in a brown paper bag on my desk. And it was like, you know, none of my stuff disappeared other than what it cost me to defend myself and everybody else. And I spent plenty on that. I spent everything on it. I was broke when I finally got there. The reason I stopped fighting was because I was completely out of money. But I didn't lose anything because of my lifestyle and people just took care of it for me. While I was gone and they did my work for me and it just, you know, nothing left. But I certainly had to develop a new sense of the worth of a dollar when I got out. So watching their colleagues and friends get busted, go to prison or flee the country was horrifying for my parents. Along with the sadness of watching their friends' lives be torn apart was the terror that people would turn a dime. My parents could only hope that they would be spared if any of their colleagues rolled, like Gracie's associate. Growing up, because I didn't know my parents were lawbreakers, I never felt unsafe or worried that I would come home from school and find my parents in jail or our bags packed to flee the country. However, this podcast pilgrimage into Pandora's pot box is continuously uncovering surprising disclosures and discoveries. Now let me scrape my jaw off the floor once again and share a recent one. I was talking with my mom, and she casually mentions in the late 80s they could have been busted the same way as Gracie. When a family friend with whom we'd vacationed in Kauai and whose daughter gave me a Culture Club cassette tape for my 10th birthday was busted and rolled on everyone but my dad. He told on everybody but us. Really? All of his crew. Why didn't he tell on you? Why didn't he tell it? Yeah. Because we had had babies. Because you had a baby? He didn't tell on you. We had a family and a baby. And nobody else did. So my mom thinks her busted associate didn't roll on my dad because of me and my siblings. The busted colleague was also a family man. And to save his skin and keep his family intact, he turned a dime on his bachelor associates. My dad, a fellow family man, remained unnamed. It's fascinating and bizarre to consider. I'd potentially been an unwitting shield for my parents. In the next episode, Dad's pot smuggling career takes a dangerous and devastating turn when Dad goes to New York and does the trip that ultimately becomes his final straw. I'm Rainbow Valentine, and this is Disorganized Crime, Smuggler's Daughter. Disorganized Crime, Smuggler's Daughter is written and recorded by me, Rainbow Valentine. Our producers are Gabby Watts and Taylor Church. Executive producers are Brandon Barr, Brian Lavin, Elsie Crowley, and me at School of Humans, and Connell Byrne and Charles Bryant at iHeartRadio. Our music is by Gabby Lala and Claire Campbell, with original theme by Mark Karen and me. You can follow us online at disorganizedcrimepodcast.com. Writing our own story, doing as we please. Tamil pies, sleeping princess of the redwood trees. She helps us keep it real. A handshake seals the deal. Grab the stash, the seal the meal, and load up these old wheels. Rolling a doobie, young, rich, and groovy. Making it up as we.
Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. What if we told you about a major breakthrough on awesome savings on all-inclusive beach vacays? OMG, this could break the case. Case? I'm talking about CheapCaribbean.com. It's full of hot savings. At CheapCaribbean.com, score an extra $175 off site-wide on vacations of four nights or more now through June 3rd. Swim up bar in Punta Cana or dip your toes in the sand on the shores of Cancun. We gotta take this show on the road. Start at CheapCaribbean.com. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at Viking.com.